What'd you guys do for New Year's? I don't care. Don't tell me. I sat on my recliner. I did nothing. You, if you were smart, you would have done the same as me. Okay, you're not going out in Tel Aviv. Those crowds are ridiculous. I mean, it'd be bad enough going out in Indianapolis. All right. But I started a new holiday tradition this year. Better than any New Year's party you could possibly go to. Every, not every, but a lot of publications, online publications, I think everything is just online now. Do papers even exist? But all these publications and blogs that come out with their end of the year lists and best books, movies, what have you. Anything, sports, moments, doesn't matter. Okay, and I, I really love to go over Deadspin, Deadspin's lists. All right, they got great lists about what to watch, things long form, um, articles to read, music to listen to, okay, sports moments. But their list, their favorite list, far and away of mine, each year, is the one titled, What Did We Get Stuck in Our Rectums Last Year? All right, and I started a holiday tradition. I've read it for the past few years, and I was like, you know what? I'm home alone on Christmas with Courtney. It's just me and her. Let's see if I can get some laughs out of her. I feel like I feel like she'd enjoy this. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this off, and sure enough, it worked. Okay, they have this list in particular starts with the ear, and it makes its way down south to every orifice until it gets to the rectum. Okay. And they, they gather all these, okay? They gather all of these instances from emergency room visits. But here, here is what it says in the article. All reports are taken from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission's database of emergency room visits. All descriptions are verbatim, and none of those things belong in there. <laughs> As always, objects are sorted by orifice working south. I won't go through all of the orifices because that's a bit much. But, uh, all right. I'm going to give you my top five of this list. I think there's about 30 on here. I don't know. You should check it out. Coming in at number five. Sat down on the sofa and accidentally sat on a ballpoint pen. Pen lodges in rectum. Uh, how hard are you sitting on the sofa? Is the sofa in between cushions? Yeah, I'm thinking they got a little embarrassed of what they were doing with that pen. They didn't quite tell the truth. But I applaud you on the non-creativity. Coming in at number four, Christmas ornament ball. Now, it doesn't specify the size of this ornament ball, but that's not what I'm most worried about. If it's one of your generic ornament balls, okay, that thing, I mean, you can crush it with your hand. Like, I'm thinking a weak one, you don't really want to put up there. I don't know what, what, I mean, you can get some shards of ornament ball broken off in your colon. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess that's a risk you're willing to take coming in at number three. A significant amount of string. That's why I laughed really hard. That was, that was very subtly hilarious. I was not expecting that. The, the adjectives significant really sent that home for me. Number four. Took a soda bottle with fireball whiskey via his rectum, stuck bottle in rectum, and squeezed. 
Okay, why are we shaming this guy? This guy is a bro, okay? And he's just trying to get his party on. And Fireball Whiskey is obviously the best thing to party with. That's far and away. And when you want to shoot things up your butt, alcohol-wise, I mean, yeah, you want to go for spicy. That makes total sense. All right, don't go for the easy stuff like vodka. All right, that, that you know, vodka with the tampon. It's too easy, all right? You want to go Fireball Whiskey. You want to make it spicy, all right? And you don't want to just put it up there nicely with a tampon, all right? You want to shoot that thing up there like it's a bottle rocket. And so I don't know why we're shaming this dude. He did it right. And uh, props to you, bro. I, I hope you survived and lived to tell the tale. And I'm glad you... Uh, you made it to the day to the emergency room so we get this on the list. Number one, okay? I want to hear your explanations for this. Number one, easily on this entire list, no matter what orifice. Number one thing, my favorite thing that somebody put up their rectum throughout 2018. Leg of telescope. Okay, you might be thinking that Somebody's getting a little freaky with the telescope. You know, I don't know what the shape of this telescope is or what the situation is, but immediately your mind goes to, oh, they're just getting freaky. doesn't have to be it. What if you and your buddy, okay, you're using the telescope. You're trying to find Mars, all right? You're trying to find a shooting star, the moon, okay? You're looking out the window, you got it outside, but maybe some trees are in the way, okay? You need a different angle to get that great shot of the moon. You gotta tilt it a little bit, okay? But you can't quite move it. Maybe there's like a railing in the way. Maybe you're on the roof, there's a railing in the way, there's a tree in the way. I need a better angle. I need to hang it over the edge of the roof, okay? Well, you're not gonna just try and prop up against a wall or just like hold it with your hands. No, it's too heavy. So your buddy says, listen, I'm going to sacrifice my rectum, all right? Put that leg of the telescope in there. I'll back up against the wall. It'll be sturdy in there, I promise you. I'll squeeze. It will not move, and you'll get the best glimpse of the moon with the right angle, and I'll do that for you, bro, because I love you. That makes total sense to me. Again, I don't know why we're shaming these people. All right, some of these things are necessary. And when you're looking at the moon, you sell out. That's my top five. You should read it. Get your top five. Goes from here to rectum. There's another list on there that they have. A whole separate article uh, titled, What Horrible Things Did We Do to Our Penises This Year? Another fantastic year in review. I highly recommend those. You got the family around the holidays. You know, make up some old fashions. Pop the wine. Maybe even get a little frisky with some champagne. Gather the family around. Bring grandma in, okay? She's not a prude. She gets it. She's been there. All right. She lived through the 70s. She'll enjoy this list as well. It's, this, is, this is a family gathering thing. Everyone can enjoy at most ages. And, uh, yeah, so start, your, start a new family tradition, okay? That's what I'm here for. This is why I do this podcast, right? I give you a different perspective. You can start new family traditions, and, uh, yeah, tell me what your parents say about it and, and thank me later. So not last podcast with Will, but the podcast before that, I talked about 
answering questions from the media in college and about being truthful and how they coached us to say the corporate lines and not stir up any controversy, not create any tension towards yourself. Basically, don't speak the absolute truth. Don't speak your truth. Here are the lines you should say and how you should answer these certain questions because the media is out to get you and they're the enemy. All they want to do is stir up controversy and create conflict on this team and create problems. And that's it. When really, like, the media just wants the truth. And it's hard for players and athletes to accept that, especially when the truth is uncomfortable. But I'll get into that later. Anyways, I talked about that on the podcast. And I had an old, uh, somebody who covered the sport, uh, the basketball beat for the Michigan Daily. And they were a student journalist when I was there. I think they were there during, I think he said my last two years. Maybe it was just my last year. Anyways, his name is Daniel Wasserman. And he hit me up uh, with a funny story about asking Novak, Zach Novak and I a question after we lost to Ohio in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament our senior year. We got knocked out. We're feeling shitty. Okay, we fully expected to go this way 16 at least. We were supposed to. We got seated very high. All right, we just want to share the Big Ten title. And, you know, projected to win against Ohio. Let's, let's just put it that way. And we lose, and we feel like shit. And then Daniel tells me the story about that situation. Okay, so he writes me, quote, Catching up from earlier this month and the question on what you wish you could have said to the media, I was just glad you didn't mention what you wanted to say to the idiot punk student journalist, me, that minutes after losing your last game asked you and Zach something like how it felt to play like that in your last game. You probably don't even remember, obviously a lot was happening, but you had a good answer, especially for the situation how bluntly I phrased it. But Zach just pulled the mic in close, gives me a glare I'll never forget, and says, a joy. Wyrot, Tom Wyrot, who was a sports information director for the Michigan men's basketball team, Wyrot texted me right after that to stay away from Zach in the locker room and later told me he used every word in the book to cuss me out after getting off the podium. I bet, I don't really remember that, but I bet Zach did. I vaguely remember Zach being, I mean, we were all upset after that game, which eventually, oddly enough, turned into just laughter because we didn't really know how to deal with the situation of our college careers being over. But you know, we, for whatever reason, there's always been this like headbutting between athletes and coaches and the media. And a lot of it doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you supposed to do when, when a player is playing bad or, or a team is underperforming or not playing well? Like, write puff pieces? You can't fault a, any media member for asking questions, especially when they know that they just get fed bullshit all the time, all the time. Nobody, nobody tells the full truth in those locker rooms, and when you do, you know it gets you in trouble, which is another horrible part to all of this. DJ Swearinger, defensive back for the Redskins, full honesty. All season about the Redskins' downfalls. Um, you could say he went a little too far in what he said about his defensive coordinator and the play calling. 
but he was completely honest, total honesty, okay? Got him fired. Got him cut from the team. Pro bowler. So it, 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 always, it doesn't always matter who you are. I mean, some guys get away with it uh, compared to others. I mean, obviously LeBron's going to basically say whatever he wants, but he's a little even more cryptic than what Swearinger was doing. But these guys have the wrong idea about the media. We've been conditioned to view the media as this entity to battle. And there's no greater example than the one I just saw with Kawhi Leonard. I actually had to do a deep dive on Twitter to make sure the quote was real. Okay, so here's a tweet from Raul Dominguez Jr. And it's a question and answer. All right, question. Surprised at the booze given your success with Spurs? And here is Kawhi's response. No. Media does a great job to stir people's minds and to influence them to think a certain way. So I already knew how that was going to be the way the media was. What the hell are you talking about, dude? You just up and left the Spurs like... The Spurs are trying to search for you during your rehab in New York. They can't even contact you. You, you just like... Gave him the cold shoulder. I'm all for players with power and, you know, getting to decide where they want to go. But you did the Spurs dirty, man. Like, of course the, the Spurs like the Spurs fans are going to be pissed. Media didn't do anything besides report all the shit you did or did not say. You're, you know, Kawhi's been known for his silence, but... You know, the, the cliche term silence is deafening. Yeah, that's exactly what that was. The Spurs didn't hear from you. And they were asking the Spurs players last year what their thoughts were. Or they talked to Kawhi and the other one's like, no, we don't know what the hell is going on. So, you know, again, here is the the part where you give full honesty like Swearinger. They don't like you. Okay, they'll cut you. You don't give any honesty like Kawhi did with the Spurs situation and they're not going to like you because people want to know what's going on and so there, there is a middle ground there and it's really not too hard to reach but I'm still all for the full honesty thing dudes need to just chill out like I understand from a player's perspective how it's not always easy to be criticized and I think it was CJ McCollum who came up with a tweet saying that all right we're going to do the some 2K ratings like they do to basketball players. We're going to do it to media members and then rate everything they do, all their predictions, all of their columns, all of their words. And yeah, like that that makes total sense, all right? Like I understand the frustration from that point. You don't have to catch as much heat as players do. But it's this weird situation where players are in this space and... They get paid a bunch of money because fans want to watch them play, right? Fans dish out the money to watch them play. And especially with new TV deals, becomes just this massive business. And it's all sparked by interest from fans. It is fan-driven, right? Like, And the media is fan-driven as well. There's not going to be any media members writing about your sports team unless people want to read them, okay? Unless they get clicks. Okay, they get reads, advertisement dollars come in so they can keep paying these writers to write about the sports teams. Like, that's just the name of the game. So you have to deal with it. I mean, I understand the perspective that, like, a CJ comes up with. Like, all right, we're going to rate you, too. 
I totally get that because you're still a human, all right? You don't want to be treated like a piece of meat completely. But that is now part of what you're getting into. I mean, it can change a little bit and and there are definitely media members that need to be called out if they're complete assholes like there's no doubt about that but there's a part of it that's just not going to go away just because of the structure of sports and the structure of how our economy works you know human beings are terrible once you're in the spotlight like you're just going to get hate no matter what you do but going back to my time you know dealing with beat writers and media members at at Michigan because I don't really deal with them now but back then like yeah there was there was issues with guys how how the media was portrayed within our locker room and that's within every locker room but never once did I think that these guys were out to get us or purposely find bad things I mean they're all they're trying to do is find the truth in how we feel and you know we mask how we feel during those media sessions so it's not always easy for them to maneuver those waters as well but i you know one way or another i had relationships with those media people with all the media members you know we've seen them in the locker room you know talk to them here and there and i still talk to some of them occasionally like on, on social media and i mean none of them seemed like bad people that were out to get us or you know i play shitty sometimes and Okay, I didn't want to hear them or read them write about how I played shitty, but like, I played shitty. Like, what am I supposed to do? Just blame them for writing facts? And and I guess, yeah, I don't know. I don't want people, you know, it's our job. So I, this is another good point. It is our job to play well, okay? And it's also our job to have, be, um, to have the perception of playing well. So... When you are reminding fans that some guys aren't playing well and and we're not doing our jobs to the best of our abilities, basically, yeah, guys will get upset. It's like, why do you got to do that? Why do you got to put that out there? Now I have to deal with, you know, more fan hate. And I get that. But fans aren't dumb. You know, if, if, if media people, media members are writing just puff piece after puff piece and not really stating the facts... You know, when they know a guy isn't playing well, I mean, it's not like the, it's not like 40 years ago with no internet and you just have to go on the word of the journalist and the, and the stat, uh, the box score. Like now I can look up, I don't, I don't look to any media member to tell me how the team played. Okay. I look up all of the advanced stats myself online, watching all the highlights online myself. Like I'm, you know, it's not the same relationship anymore like it used to be. So now it's just kind of media members are writing about personal things and getting quotes. That's a big thing. Getting quotes, getting inside scoops on certain things, how tapping into how the players really feel. So it's changed and it's become more personal, um, more personable, I guess would be the word I would say. Like media, they become closer with the players in that sense because that's all that we're looking for from any media member. You know, I want I want you to tell me what's going on inside that locker room. And some of those things get very personal for players and they don't like it. They, they don't want to share. I don't like sharing things, but I tried to be as honest as possible with all those, all those people back at Michigan 
And I think they appreciated that. I mean, I didn't tell them everything. I wasn't going to, but I tried to be as candid as possible. And there's definitely this middle ground where players can take, where they don't have to be completely 100% honest about everything, but they also don't have to just lie their ass off and give their corporate line and, and be boring. Like, it's fun. I, I just thought it was fun to talk to them and have my voice out there. And, you know, I'm narcissistic. So I want people to, like, see my quotes and stuff and, like, see how they felt about it. Uh, you know, again, that's why I have this podcast, okay? Because I think my words are a little more important than they are. But, you know, I, I, I saw it as a fun thing and we were trained to view it as something to just endure. And I think that's, I think that's wrong. I, I think it's completely wrong. I think, you know, there's so many different ways you can take advantage of a mic being shoved in your face. And instead we just see it as this massive problem and, and this thing to just deal with. And I wish they would train college players differently in this sense. And I wish they would let guys have a bigger voice. But the way that college sports was set up, College athletes are just not going to have a voice because the coaches control that and they don't want anything negative to get out there. So when they have so much control and coaches don't like anything getting out, they're going to tell their players, all right, chill, don't get a, don't get us in trouble, whatever, like I said before. But I, it's sad because it's really a thing that you can take advantage of and it's really a thing you need to take advantage of in this day and age. Take advantage, take control of your own brand. Take control of your voice okay because your voice has been tinted in college okay that's not who you are and a lot of times that carries over into the nba and if, if you're that type of guy fine like you don't want to deal with it that's cool the situation with uh mike trout and mlb and the commissioner come out saying well he would be a bigger star if he did more media things and more I don't know, campaigns or, or, or whatever, to try to push the game forward and, and build his brand. But Mike doesn't want to do that, and that's cool. He doesn't have to take advantage of that. But it is something that is there for players to take advantage of. It, it can be a positive. It should be a positive. It shouldn't be seen as avoiding a negative. So I, I hope that the media training in college were to change in this way, and there's going to have to be a big disruption with that because it's going to be very hard. There's already a power imbalance there, and you're going to have to explain to coaches that, yeah, college players need their individual individuality and they need to express that and explore that because you're not only building basketball players, but you're building people. You want them to succeed afterwards. And in this day and age, uh, being an athlete and to succeed in the social media era that we're in, there's a lot of ways you can take advantage of that and, and the eyes that are already on you in college. And you can set players up for success. But you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, outside of the realm of basketball, so it's hard to quite understand, or it's hard to even give time to because college coaches don't have that type of time. So it's, you know, it's this really weird situation we're in. There's the muddy waters. We're we're kind of in the beginning stages of it, but I hope somebody comes in and changes these things. But you know, that's a that's a lofty pipe dream. But uh, yeah, it's it's right there for the taking, man. And I just wish players in college specifically could see that and we're given that opportunity all right i'm gonna give you my top 10 nba players and we'll get into some twitter questions and this thing on a positive note but first you guys need to stop complaining about harden i just saw a tweet 
that actually got support. It said something to the effect of, all players have their flaws. Harden relies on fouls too much. Bro, what the hell are you talking about? Harden draws, I think, the most fouls in the NBA, or draws the most free throws in the NBA. Yes, Harden, a flaw in Harden's game is that he relies on the most efficient shot in, in basketball, the free throw. That's a flaw. What the hell are you doing, dude? How, how can you view basketball like that? Basically saying, oh, well, Harden relies on layups too much. What? Like, that's the equivalent. It's even worse because free throws are even more, more efficient. And he draws those fouls. He doesn't rely on them. He creates those situations. He creates the free throws. But this complaint about how Harden plays, and it's like I've seen guys who know basketball and love basketball are like, I like Harden and I really appreciate his greatness, but his game aesthetically is just not pleasing. Okay, that's fine. But why do we have to keep saying it over and over again? Like we just keep complaining about, ooh, Harden traveled on this play and it didn't get called. Like we just keep focusing on like these weird aspects of Harden's game and that Harden has been on like a 13-game tear. He was like one of three players in NBA history to have a 10-game span of scoring and score more than 400 points. He's still on a streak of an NBA record streak of 35 points and five assists in a game. Like now he smashed Oscar Robertson's record. So it's very bizarre. And he even said so in a, in a question in the media scrum after, I think it was the, okay, no, the, the Golden State game when he beat them single-handedly basically. And he's like, I wish, I wish they would just focus on my greatness on the court. And isolated, that sounds like very cocky, but it's it's not. He said it very calmly, and, and it's completely true. And it's just annoying as hell to hear people like nitpick pl- plays, literally like a Harden travel, and then it's like, oh, this is why I don't like Harden. It's like one play, really? Dude's unbelievable. Okay, he's probably he's probably the most underrated superstar. I got like a handful of superstars. I think I got about I would say four. I say Harden's, you know, it goes. It's like LeBron, Curry, and Durant in that order, whatever you like. And then Harden, I would say, is right behind them. He's not appreciated enough compared to those guys. MVPs aside, like people still like, yeah, well, he's, you know, he's not top three. Okay, he's not he's not any of those three guys. Yeah, well, they're not doing the things he's doing. And it's just a different way. And aesthetically, it's very different from how they play and how we're used to seeing guys play. And... Yeah, apparently it annoys people, and I'm annoyed with those, with those people. And it's just, I wish these things would stop. I wish you would just adapt and quit projecting how you view the game or how you think the game should be played or how you think a player should look or be or or whatever. And then, we're, and then we just project those things onto those players, even when they're doing great, and, it, and we diminish some of their accomplishments or we don't even look at their accomplishments because uh, I just, you know, it doesn't feel right to me. Well, forget your feelings and just please appreciate the greatness. Okay, here is my top 10. And I'm not going to give any reason besides for one. And, and then we'll move on to Twitter questions. Okay, number one, Curry. Fight me. Number two, LeBron. Number three, Durant. Number four, Harden. Number five, Kawhi. Number six, Giannis. Number seven, 
Anthony Davis. Number eight, Paul George. Nine, Kyrie. Ten, Damian Lillard. Russell Westbrook, you are not in my top ten. So I have Russ outside the top ten because of this year. Well, and last year, too, his efficiency is just not high. And if you want to fight me on that, go look up his stats. Compare them to Paul George, Kyrie, Damian Lillard, and Giannis, and then come back to me, and then we can have a discussion. But until you do that, I don't want to hear shit on Russ. Because he certainly isn't better than Curry, LeBron, Durant, Harden, or Kawhi. So he'd be sixth at best. But those players I listed before him, I mean, you can, you can give me arguments, and I'll hear them, but do your research. All right, let's wrap this thing up. We got some Twitter questions. Number one, what did you think of Allen Fieldhouse? Allen Fieldhouse is where Kansas plays basketball. I thought it was very cool. All I heard about was how loud it was going to be. The opening tip-off, I don't remember what they call it or whatever, but the rock chalk thing, I don't know. The tip-off is very loud, but after that, it's not really loud like that at all. Um, I mean, it's still loud for like a college arena, but it wasn't. They weren't blowing your ears out the whole game. So I mean, the tip-off was cool, but then after that, it kind of got a little disappointing. And I blame that on just people building it up, which I mean, I guess that's what fans do, and and then I keep getting disappointed with things like this and the situation. So what do I? I don't know what I expect anymore. Most hated man you played against at Michigan and why? I mean, Michigan State was always the most annoying. I don't, I don't think I, I didn't really dislike Ohio State as much. Um, there were plenty of annoying players that we played against in all Big Ten teams. Uh, but I guess overall, like the most hated was Aaron Kraft, just because he like fouled all the time and got away with it. And you know, you can't be that gritty and that white and have those red of rosy cheeks and not be hated. So. I kind of felt bad for him because, like, genetically, he was just built to be hated. And, uh, you know, there was not much he could do about it, but still wasn't going to stop any of us. Ant Wright comes in with the question, the greatest official visit that closed the deal on going to Michigan. <laughs> Ant was uh, the host for my official visit, and I don't remember us doing shit. I mean, funny enough, I didn't want to go on my official visit. Like, I'm not the type of person that wants to just stay with strangers. And Ant was very nice. Um, it was far and away like my worst visit and I planned it that way. Like I didn't really care to see Ann Arbor and I pretty much told them that, like, I don't really care. Like I wanted to go to Ann Arbor and I didn't need to have an official visit. Like it wasn't that type of guy and I wasn't like getting recruited by all of the big programs, uh, and needed to like see what the best campus was. Like I knew that's where I wanted to go from the very start. Um, and just watching, Beeline's West Virginia team. So I was not that type of guy. Funny enough, my favorite official visit was Harvard. Holy shit, those Harvard dudes like to party. That was fun. That was the only, I think those are really the only two official visits I took just because my recruitment was so weird, which I'll have to explain one of these days. But yeah, Harvard, I remember drinking, uh, was it 101 bananas, that nasty banana vodka? Yeah, that was gross. But, and actually during my, official visit I went I attended a party and it was the blackest party I've ever been to in my entire life so shout out to Harvard for the cultural experience and seeing things that I thought was going to be you know stuffy at Harvard and it it definitely was not and going in thinking that Harvard was just going to be this stuffy ass place and 
very rigid and boring, and it, it definitely was not. Shout out to Live Scoob, Royce. What's up, man? He wants me to talk about Antonio Brown and Le'Veon to the Browns. I sure as hell hope that happens because screw the Steelers and it would make a one Tom Pritchard very, very happy. Chrysler crowd has improved over last decade, but I think the arena itself sucks. Crowd slopes much too gradually away. Compare, for example, to IU's Assembly Hall. How did you compare them when playing in each? That's tough. It gets super loud in there. And we were there, we played there a couple times on winter break when the student section wasn't even fully there. And it was still loud as hell. And they were hyped as hell. And they weren't even good. And that just comes back to the Bloomington faithful. I mean, Ann Arbor loves basketball. Like, they love the Michigan basketball. But it's just not the same the way it is down in Bloomington. So it's hard to compare Assembly Hall to Chrysler. Yeah, I mean, I guess I need to go check it out and experience a game there. But... Playing was always cool, and you know when we started to like pack the place my senior year, things started to get a little more wild. I remember that Michigan State game was definitely one of the best crowds I've ever played against at home. Uh, so yeah, it was it, it got better and better, but it's hard to compare anything to Assembly Hall, honestly. Ooh, I like this one. Are media timeouts as prevalent overseas as they are in the NBA and NCAA? No, they are not. But it was funny enough. I play for this club now who. Has a lot more recognition, the most recognition of any club I played for in Israel. And we were playing in a game a couple games ago. It was the only game on TV. And there was like three minutes gone by into the third quarter. It was like 6.53 left in the third quarter. There's a dead ball and they called a TV timeout. And I was like, what the hell is this? This is worse than college. Like, I've loved getting away from those TV and media timeouts because they just slow the game down so much. Here the game can be over like an hour and a half. In college, like the game was just dragged out. It was so slow. I mean, I guess I appreciated it because we had to play. I had to play 40 minutes in some games. So like those media timeouts were a godsend at times. But, uh, you know, I, I hated them. They were annoying. Um, you know, the only time I would like them is if I was in college and getting paid. And then you, we could make media timeouts every two minutes. Shit, rack up the money. I don't care. But it was like, all right, this is worthless. This is a, this isn't even for me. Um, you know, sub me out. Just give me a few minutes here. I'll, I'll gladly take a media timeout or two away from any college game uh, and, and gladly set out about three minutes for a sub. But, yeah, I I'm, do not miss those at all. Do you still have nightmares about the Evan Turner shot? Because I do about once a week. Now, my mom saw this. And she wanted me to tell the truth about this shot because it, some people blame me for it and not pressing up. And it's a kind of funny story, but uh, maybe I'll tell that one of these days. It, it's it's not bad, um, but my mom was being protective mother bear and she's like, I'm serious. I'm tired of people blaming you for some things that, that happened with that shot. And I'm like, it's cool, mom. What is the greatest thing you've ever done as a basketball player? Uh, earlier this year, I took charges in back-to-back -back games. I hadn't taken a charge in about five, six years. So, yeah, I felt pretty damn gritty after that. Other than that, zero grit. I got nothing else for you. All right, that's it. Before I end this episode, I just want to put out to Miles Turner that I, I am accepting gratitude and thanks whenever you want to show it. You know, I was the first one to say, you know, he's to start jacking up shots. He's getting paid that much. He's supposed to be a franchise player. 
just put up shots. Your eyes can be closed. I don't care. And he had a stretch there for a little bit where he was shooting more than anybody else in the team. Finally getting more shots than Sabonis. Shooting more than Oladipo. And uh, scoring. And I have not really caught up in the last couple of days of their games. But he just needs to be more aggressive. And actually, quick funny story. I hung out with um, a classmate of his at Texas. It was uh, somebody here who plays basketball. And they knew him at Texas. And they're they friends with him. And she said that Miles is just the nicest guy. And completely nice. And it was like, yeah, everyone in Indy loves the guy. And it's like, but we wish that he would just be a little less nice and a little more selfish. And she was like, yeah, there was a thing at Texas where he probably could have done more at Texas and people were talking about that, but it's not the type of personality he is. And it was like, you know what? It's just time for him to shed some of that, be a little more selfish because it's not being selfish. He sees it as being selfish. He takes some shots when he could work the ball around, but it's not being selfish because that's how great your talent is. And that's what the team needs you to do. So you're you're just kind of hurting the team, I think, or hurting at least the future prospects of the team if he doesn't develop that bit of selfishness and that edge to him. Uh, we all love the athlete who is selfless and and uh, you know passes the ball around and shares with his teammates and is nice. Um, but those guys don't typically win. You know, LeBron has a does it in a very different way. Um, but he still knows when to be selfish and, and want to take over games. I mean, the dude plays iso ball just about as much as anybody in the league. So, yeah, he, he knows he definitely has that selfless attitude that you need, that all great players need. Um, so here's to hope A. Miles keeps it going. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome, guys.